Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rorkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And welcome back to part two of our celebration of Paul Thomas Anderson. Today, we'll be going over some Twitter questions, and we'll each be ranking our top five of PTA's films. Yeah, we had such a fun conversation with Ryan, and we're excited for you to listen to part two. I want to hear from you guys, like, what does PTA mean to you? Oh, I know that The Matrix released recently on HBO Max, but this is my Mr. Anderson. Um, (laughs) Because, my God, this man. There are three directors that mean the most to me in my life. It's Hayao Miyazaki. I think his movies are just, everything he does is, is, is wonder and beauty. For my adolescence and growing up into the cinephile that I am, Paul Thomas Anderson is that. And then from college on, it's been Spike Lee. Those are the three directors to me that I, with whether taste or politics or the way I think of the world or whatnot, those are the ones that I think about the most and mean the most to me. But Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, is the most important because when we are growing up, we connect to a modern director that we then grow up with, that our taste in things change over time. And PTA has definitely been that. And I think when we talk about his other projects, um, there's one from 2007 that is so important, I think not just to me, but our generation, because that is a movie that really turned the tide. That year is for our generation, the year that turned all of us into the rabid film fans. I don't think that I am a writer podcaster without that movie. I don't think you guys have this show probably without that movie and a couple others in between. That's how important he is. He is also just one of the last people on the planet that gets to do whatever the hell he wants to do and does it in such a beautiful, sincere, honest, gripping, hilarious way that we all are enthralled. And also, he gets to do it on film with slaps. He doesn't have the pretentiousness like we were talking about before we started recording, of a Tarantino, of a Nolan when it comes to film preservation. It almost is like, and this is an homage to Boogie Nights because that's exactly who it is. It's like he is really this generation's Martin Scorsese when it comes to that topic because they're such a preserver of saving film and loving film and being a historian in that nature without beating you over the head. And making you just like, okay, maybe we should think about digital. Um, (laughs) Because that's what some of these guys are. But I just love the man. And he comes out every three to four or five years with a movie that just kind of revigorates my love for cinema. Like all the Spider-Mans and MCUs and all the things that we sort of love or, or, or disposable come out. And they come and go. And we don't think about them for like, you know, after the five minutes that we saw them. But his movies, they linger. A lingering quality to a director matters the most for me because we don't have a lot of time on this planet. And so something that stays in your head matters the most. And so, yeah, the dude's a legend. I don't know what else to tell you. So follow that, Nook. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have gone first. (laughs) (laughs) I saw all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films growing up when I wasn't as involved in film. And I saw movies because they were movies and they were released and... I never associated them with a name, but once I started doing that with movies, that's when they started to mean something to me. And especially over the past few weeks as I've been rewatching, it's like he knows what he's doing. 
beyond many other directors out there. And it's almost hard to say what his sense of style is because he varies so much throughout his movies. And he, again, that vision, that clarity that he has is just so inspiring. And, you know, his films are both elusive and showy, but also not showy. They kind of span all genres. And that's what I love is that with Tarantino, you know what you're going to expect. And with PTA, I think there is some mystery. And that's always the fun of it is going into a movie maybe thinking you're getting one thing and then at the end just totally blown away you know as Don Cheadle was in the diner <laughs> and how I was too even on rewatch I didn't remember that and I was like oh my god mm-hmm. so that's kind of what I love to feel from his movies and noticing a drastic shift throughout his filmography you're talking about there will be blood just like a masterpiece and that wasn't even his peak like that doesn't happen. Like, what? <laughs> Play that score, Johnny Greenwood. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. getting a movie every few years, he takes his time. He doesn't churn him out. And that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot to it. Very thought-provoking. And, you know, that's kind of why this has already been a very long podcast. <laughs> and we're mm-hmm. in our intro. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys both touched on really important things for me. First, without Paul Thomas Anderson, I am not here doing this right now any of it because he taught me how to think about movies differently and he has this weird dark sense of humor that I feel like is synced up with my soul like I just feel connected to it in every movie that he's ever made Nick you mentioned mysteries I think that he has a mystery in most of his films and I think you know people love him or don't like him because of his auteur label, him being a part of this new, new wave, this new, new Hollywood and what that means. But he, I think, and especially through Licorice Pizza, his newest film, he has really established himself as not just this like wonderkind of the 90s and the 2000s, but as someone who is just this clear American filmmaker who has so much to say He works with brilliant actors, and I just love him so much that it's hard, I think, to find the words. I mean, we will find words throughout this podcast, of course, as it goes on forever, of what to say about him and why he's so important to me. But with every single film that comes out, I know I'm getting something original. I know I'm getting something that's going to stay. He has, like you were talking about, Ryan, that lasting power. He leaves interpretation up to the audience. Similar to Campion, he doesn't handhold and he just feels concerned with like leaving this lasting impression on you and that's the power of cinema right there. It's the best goddamn goat. I just think about him all the time. Not even just his movies. I just think about him and making mm-hmm. sure that he's safe <laughs> and that because look I know that there, there should be more directors in this planet that have the sort of vacuum because he's not a really commercially successful director. Uh, his movies do okay. They're not, you know, they're not making a billions of dollars. You know, they're not doing mm-hmm. kind of like what Nolan does where he gets to make whatever he wants. And those movies make a lot of money. He's making his niche thing and he's sort of the last one. I mean, there's Spielberg in it. There's one of my favorite directors of all time and Robert Altman, who he's shadowed before he passed and, and really, tried to learn as much as he could. I mean, he literally made a movie that was sort of his answer to 
a Robert Altman movie. I think he's got Altman stuff throughout his entire filmography, but he doesn't lean on it. Mm-hmm. And I think what's also interesting about Paul Thomas Anderson when we talk about his movies later is there's two different eras of PTA. There's his older stuff that I think are him as a director trying to figure out what kind of style he wants to make. And then when There Will Be Blood comes around, we enter a new era of, okay, this is what a Paul Thomas Anderson movie is. This is what we're supposed to feel. This is that that mystery that you talked about, the sort of uneasiness that that surrounds his movies. Nick, you said about Tarantino, like, you know what you're going to get. Like, you're going to have some quippy dialogue. There's going to be some action. You know, maybe he'll change some history things or two. You know what I mean? Maybe it's a, a lot of feet. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. <laughs> but with Paul Thomas Anderson, you know you're going to be in the hands of a master. And mm-hmm. you're going to be taken care of. But you're going to go on a ride. You're going to go on something that maybe you don't even understand in the first go round. That you have to, t- that it takes multiple chances. And I like what you said about Jane Campion. Like, Jane Campion is a director where I think her work demands repeat viewings, conversation, having what we love to do right now, which is talk about films. And he's such a talking point of so many top 10 lists. He, there's discourse around his movies. There's rabid fan bases. There's a lot of naysayers. And I think that that's healthy for cinema. And I think he would say the same thing too. Plus the guy also likes uh, a comic book movie every now and then. He likes a little Venom. With mm-hmm. his family, which is, I mean, reading also that too, that he loved Venom, but then he loved Titan. Mm-hmm. It's like, who's saying that kind of stuff? Oh, I know the goat right now. Like, it's got to be. I mean, like, no one's having that kind of artistic palette. And I think that that's kind of what it is, is he's got a little carnage in him, but then he's got a little of this beauty. So it's, he's the best. He is. And I think that's what I love too, right? It's all of his movies have this like lightness in the dark or the darkness in the lightness that blend and he despite having movies that are about very serious topics right like Scientology oil barons like all of these movies that he's given us he still finds a way I think to not take himself so seriously I think you especially see that with that break um, post there will be blood which is kind of an odd movie I would say to say like this is where he starts to take himself less seriously because it's the masterpiece of the 21st century so far. Mm -hmm. It feels like, you know, someone handed you a great American novel and you have to take care of it with all of your being, right? But I think with his movies too, when I watch a PTA movie, I'm not in the moment analyzing each little thing that's coming across the screen like I would with a Nolan movie or a Villeneuve movie. I am just letting the experience, I think, wash over me, all of the weirdness, taking it all in, and everything happens afterwards. And that, I think, is something about the PTA experience that I really enjoy. (laughs) For those listening, Ryan just changed his Zoom background to Maya Rudolph and PTA at the Oscars. I love that he's been with Maya Rudolph for so long. It is just the greatest thing. Mom and dad right there. Just going to the Oscars. <laughs> Me too. Just, just We're strange. siblings, Ryan. That's great. <laughs> I love being a part of this family. Nick, you want to be a part of this family, Nick? Huh? That's I'm, I'm one of the four children who starred in Licorice Pizza. Damn right you are. Yeah. yeah. 
TCM's on all the time, baby. Let's go. I think we've kind of touched on this, but we did get a question from Owen Daly on Twitter. 25 years from his first release, why is he considered one of the best 21st century directors? Because there's no one like him. And I don't know with the way cinema is going if we will have another person like Paul Thomas Anderson. The way that people are put into the vacuum of you make your first feature, then you do a Marvel movie or you do a, a Disney remake. I mean, we would be so lucky if they could all turn out to be like David Lowry, where they end up doing their specific things, but then get to make their small, beautiful, passionate other projects. But they don't all work out like that. And I love Barry Jenkins to death, but even he has to do a Lion King prequel every now and then to do stuff. And it breaks my heart Mm -hmm. that that is a reality that has to happen. Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't have to do that. Directors of that era from the 90s don't have to do that anymore. And it's terrible to say this, but it's the last of a dying breed. I know. I just I, I just broke both of y'all's hearts over the Zoom. And I know, and all the listeners are like, oh, my God, he was so positive five minutes ago. But isn't that what a Paul Thomas Anderson movie is? If not making you laugh one minute and sad in the next. I mean, we talk about his eras. Do you guys think that Licorice Pizza is a part of that second era? Or could it become part of like a third era for him? God, now you're asking the real questions. See... It is different. I think it has like a breeziness to it. It has an ease. But I spiritually do connect this movie to Phantom Thread. I think that with Phantom Thread, he introduced this like new sense of humor to his movies. I think that while I find some things in There Will Be Blood and even The Master to be hilarious straight up. You have no idea how much I laughed during the rewatch for There Will Be Blood. I had it on in the background as I was doing some work and I had to like on my break, just like stop certain segments. Cause I was almost at the point of just howling at how funny that movie is. When Daniel Plainview is like pouting and sulking and floating in the water, I lose it every time. It is so funny. Every interaction with Eli Sunday is the shadiest shit on the planet. It is two men these two ideas of capitalism and religion coming at each other and they do not like each other at Mm -hmm. all. And Oh my God. I I could talk. I could talk about that for an hour. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't, we'll talk about it later. We'll get there. My God, (laughs) that movie is hysterical. The master is hysterical. I mean, inherent vice, weirdly enough, that is easily one of the hardest I've ever seen my wife laugh at a movie. We were in that theater and we weren't on anything. We were we were fine. <laughs> Good to clarify. <laughs> you know, and she was on the floor and I was like, weirdly, this was working for her. And <laughs> um, and yeah, Phantom Thread is hysterical for relatable reasons. But then I think this movie, you know, Nick, you bring up that question of like, is this a new era? I, I don't know yet. I don't think you can say it yet because of the fact that I need to see what his next project is. But I do think that the last two films have been deeply personal to him. I mean, obviously, this one feels very personal because it feels like a lot about, like, childhood. It feels a lot like about having his kids involved so he can finally make a movie with his children. Obviously, his last film is deeply, you know, inspired by not necessarily his marriage, but the ideas of was incept upon in his brain when he was sick and Maya Rudolph was taking care of him. 
And what a twisted way of thinking of that. I love it. Um, like I, I've never, I, I don't know why anyone's not ever asked her what she thought about that movie, but um, I'm sure she likes it. <laughs> Pray to God that Maya likes it. But I, I, I wouldn't know necessarily if this is a new era for him, if Phantom Thread and this is, is part of something new. But I will say is that like rewatching Boogie Nights, Boogie Nights is a good movie. But I'm going to have a controversial opinion here and say that Licorice Pizza is a better movie because I think that he's a better director and he's a better writer and he's not leaning on his favorite directors to make a movie like this anymore. He's not leaning on the Scorseseisms, the Almanisms. If anyway, he's perfected his way of doing that kind of filmmaking. So therefore a licorice pizza can stand out more as his project rather than be like, Oh, he's just doing Altman again. And, and you know, Oh, Oh, he's just doing Scorsese again. No, because like when you watch Boogie Nights, like there are a hundred thousand needle drops in that movie. And yet in licorice pizza, the needle drops that we'll talk about, they are so purposeful in what they are mm-hmm. and everything is calculated. And that's kind of what makes it a really interesting project. So, Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I like to keep that ambiguity just like the director does. But, man, if he's on a third level, my God, not many people even have a second level. Mm -hmm. So a third level in your career would just be, like, insane. I think, too, you know, the first part of his career, it's this, like, virtuoso filmmaking. He has these big ideas. He tries to put so much into his movies. You think about Boogie Nights and Magnolia being these Altman-esque ensemble pieces where everything is connected and it feels purposeful, but it doesn't feel, like you said, Ryan, like it's done with someone who knows fully who they are as a filmmaker. And I think that the precision of both Licorice Pizza and Phantom Thread also has a softness to it. I wouldn't describe his early part of his career as having any bit of a softness to it. And I I love that about his early work. But I think I love where we're going. I find them to be, and even in Hair of Ice too, I guess, very connected. His last three films. Okay, let's get to some Twitter questions. First question we have is from friend of the pod, Kevin Jacobson. What's the best performance in a PTA film that wasn't nominated for an Oscar, other than Vicky Crepes, of course? Paul Dano and There Will Be Blood. I have the same answer. <laughs> or Don Cheadle in Boogie Nights, who was fantastic, and that's really good. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Julianne Moore in Magnolia, and then Josh Brolin in Inherent Vice. Mm, I like that, too. Just for the banana scene alone. Oh, my God. Mine is also Julianne Moore in Magnolia. Her scene-stealing performance really early on, which is kind of surprising, at the pharmacy. Just She's overacting, yes, but it works here. And I loved it when she lashes back. It's amazing. Don't you call me lady. <laughs> <laughs> My answer is Paul Dano and There Will Be Blood. Love the performance. Toe-to-toe with DDL. Um, and Julianne and Magnolia. I love Julianne and Boogie Nights, too. So Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's another big actor in his movies that it's like almost every movie, she's amazing. And that goes for Philip Seymour Hoffman, too. It's like every movie, he's doing something new. Well, while we're on Magnolia, Andre Sousa asked, do you think Tom Cruise is really the best performance in Magnolia? Or do you think someone else deserved Oscar noms for the movie? No, Tom Cruise is the best performance in Magnolia. Because it's the best performance of Tom Cruise's career. Yeah. Should have won the Oscar for it. 
I it's ridiculous. completely agree with that. Look at Look us. Look at us. Look at us. He's the most infuriating. Oh, yeah. It's like hard to say he deserves one because of what a dick his character is. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, I'm, yeah character. I know they're separate, but it's, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this movie yeah. and Eyes Wide Shut really like kickstarted Tom Cruise's Scientology journey. To be fair also, though, it would take it out of Michael Caine's hands for Cider House Rules, and I am totally okay with that because that is a bad movie and a bad How did that happen? He already had one, too. Yeah, and it's not his fault he was making Jaws 3 or whatever and getting a house check or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want to show up for the one, you don't get two. And I guess while we're at it, because my Julianne one would probably go here, but I will say for Kevin's question, too, Philip Baker Hall might be my favorite PTA I can't say favorite PT actor, but he's up there like top three. He's and I feel like mm-hmm. he could have been nominated in Hard Eight. Oh, he's very good in Hard Eight. His characters, God. his persona. I loved every moment of him because I felt like I was just so glued to his world and to his character. For sure. Definitely. Okay, this is a question that's going to hurt me. But there's no right or wrong answer. Owen Daly asked, who is the better PTA collaborator, Daniel Day-Lewis or Philip Seymour Hoffman? Oh, what the hell? <laughs> Sophie's choice. I'll just start off and say Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think you said that to hurt me, actually, personally. No, I just think there's more of it, that we have more of it right now. And DDL has given incredible performances, just as like a long-standing collaborator. That's where I'm coming from. This is the problem because I think both of these actors maximize their potential as the best actors that they ever were with Paul Thomas mm-hmm. Anderson. Their mm-hmm. best performances are with Paul Thomas Anderson. So it's it's like, shit, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, I have to go with Daniel Day-Lewis. As much as I love Philip Seymour Hoffman in all four of his movies with PTA, and that's really like, you can feel the collaboration there. I think my top two films speak for themselves. Our next question comes from Daniel B. Who is your dream PTA lead that hasn't happened yet? Well, Denzel would be up there. I'd love to see him work with Leo because I know how much he's been wanting to work with Leo. One of my, my favorite actors going alongside one of my favorite directors. I would love to see, weirdly enough... Because I think he's one of the best actors when he's deciding to work and he's not making tequila. I think George Clooney with Paul Thomas Anderson would be an interesting choice. Oh, that's good. For women, I mean, Coleman was like, when I heard that, I was like, my God, that's because of her work with like Lanthimos, mm-hmm. kind of her the weird style like that, that would work really well. Listening to the, there was one time when they did a director's round table and he was talking about Lady Bird. In thinking about working with Sir Sharonin would be so interesting for him. Mm. I also think of, I know this is an outside the box pick, but I love her as an actress. And what Lupita Nyong'o could do with Paul Thomas Anderson would be very interesting. Mm. And I mean, like what Steve McQueen and Jordan Peele are able to get out of her are phenomenal, phenomenal work. So to then work with another master of the craft, too, would just, I think, continue to elevate her status as one of the great talents we have. So those would be some of mine. Nick, what about you? Off the bat, I would say Frances McDormand 
and Meryl Streep, two huge ones from this year. I think Francis and PTA would just be totally unhinged. <laughs> like they're both off the rails. Like also, I just want to see that press tour or you know Lack the two of. interviewers <laughs> and like Holy what shit. they say because yeah. we know Francis is a good time and like. <laughs> She would be so good with him. Good oh, job, yeah. Nick. Actually, I have Francis too because I think that what I love about PTA is that he picks actors with very unique faces, always. He does not pick people who are standard, like model, beautiful looking people. Even Daniel Day Lewis, who I think is like an incredibly handsome, refined man has a wild crooked nose. You know, he just looks different. Like there's something about his face that you want to look at. And I feel like with Frances, I can totally see that. Like she just, and especially her knack for playing these very peculiar women, oftentimes like middle-class women. She's very good at that. And I feel like he can, he is shown with Licorice Pizza and with Phantom Thread that he can write very strong, like women characters in his movies. I think Frances Mm -hmm. would be great. I also have Carrie Coon. I feel like she would be so good with him. And I want her to like get more work from these big directors because she can do it. And again, like that I've loved her and everything she's in. And because I'm me, you know, a lot of PTA movies feature very volatile men who are very good at yelling. And who is good at yelling with a very strange face? Adam Driver. Let's do it. PTA cast Adam Driver. (laughs) Of course you said that. Oh, my God. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> Co-starring Baby Annette while we're at it. You know, and it's just a sequel we never expect. God, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Also, it kind of feels like he's going to work with Chalamet at one point in his career, right? Like it I was going to joke, but... He's already worked with one Anderson. Like he'll, like it just feels like he'll collect the Infinity Gauntlet of of that. You know, Timothy Chalamet and work with PTA at a certain point. Like it feels well, like. and Timmy loves PTA. Yeah, so that's why I'm like, if anything is ever offered at his doorstep, he will drop it. He'll be like, Dune two, what? Yeah, hold you know hold I mean? that like, thought. <laughs> hold hold the sandworms, please. You know. This question comes from Kenzie. What's another PTA movie you would have cast Bradley Charles Cooper in? Kinsey coming in with the correct questions. He probably would have been better than Rami Malek in his part in, in The Master. Yeah. That would have been really good to see. My hate shows no bounds to mm-hmm. that man. I mean, like, he probably would have been better than Wahlberg, to, to, you know, in Boogie Nights, mm-hmm. right? Like, that makes sense. Would Cooper have been able to do Tom Cruise in Magnolia, do you think? Because he plays a good asshole, and that guy's an asshole. Yeah. Right? He could. Like, that could kind of work. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as harsh, though. No. He could do it. Tom Cruise is just searing. Yeah. And it's, it's like, way over the top, but it works with him. I'm trying to think. It's tough because, like, I can't... There's not a lot of these movies where you could really plug Bradley Cooper in unless Sophia's about to, like, just take me to school <sighs> on him. So <laughs> I'm going to leave that to the Bradley Cooper expert over here. I feel like he's great in the 70s. So I would say Boogie Nights or Inherent Vice. I think like either of those, I could find a place for him. I don't think he could necessarily do the Joaquin role in Inherent Vice. That like feels so Joaquin to me. But I would say either of those, they feel like him. We got to keep him away from the serious stuff. We got to get him on like the fun, 
Bradley Cooper train where he can be a little unhinged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I could see him in Boogie Nights as the John C. Riley character, as like the aloof guy who comes back. He might be too pretty though, up against like Dirk Diggler. I don't know. Could he play Reynolds Woodcock? Don't do that to me. <laughs> Could he play that kind of narcissism? I think he could. I think he could kind of play that. I mean, obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis is perfect in that role. But, like, I just think it would be a really interesting turn for Cooper. It would. I have so much trouble, like, seeing anyone but Daniel Day-Lewis in either of his roles. Because I think Reynolds, like, is Daniel Day-Lewis. So there's no, you know, like, I. but I think, like, yes, he could do the narcissism. And, like, someone who's career-obsessed. But it's hard because it's, like, I think Bradley Cooper... In that role, I wonder if he would try to have fun with it. I think PTA would probably need to direct him a lot. Because Daniel Day-Lewis, like, he's in his own realm in that movie. Like, he's having fun. He doesn't have to really do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Oh, I liked this one. Um, This question's from Michael. What's better, Alana running shot or Benjamin Braddock running shot from The Graduate? (laughs) Probably Benjamin Braddock from from The Graduate. I agree. Yeah, I would probably say that. I like the comparison, though, because, like, when you think about The Graduate, I, it's like you think of Alana in the Anne Bancroft role, but the point in their lives, she's much more similar, actually, to Benjamin Braddock. I was going to say, yeah, it's actually the inverse. And our last question, which I love, is from Roy Mao. If <laughs> you could play one character in his movies, which one would you choose? Because it's so absurd or because you would be good at it? Because these can, are very different You can different answer answers. it however you would like. <laughs> I have an answer. Okay, go, Sophia, because I'm still thinking. I would want to play the princess in Phantom Thread who Reynolds is making the wedding dress for. <laughs> One, because... You would want to be that. <laughs> I would want to have Vicky Creeps look at me with all of the jealousy and hatred and be like, I live here. <laughs> I live here. And it would just be... Okay, good for it you. It would just be fun. Yeah. Like, you're in it for such a short period of time. I, don't, I wouldn't want anything crazy big. But you'd sit and talk with Daniel Day-Lewis and Leslie Manville. You don't know either. This do is you? so hard because you... <laughs> I start to think about these characters and they're like, wow, I would never want to be these people. <laughs> I mean, I could say, like, Burt Reynolds' director character in Boogie Nights. <laughs> like, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Nick, you're such a bird. Well. Uh, <laughs> I want to be Cyril because she's the one actually in control. Mm-hmm. Much like I want to be, if I was to be anyone from the master, it would be Amy Adams um, because she's the real master. Um, and I would also love to be Doc Sportello. Like who wouldn't want to just live life mm-hmm. that easily in their own skin? Yeah. No care in the world. Yeah, he has bumbles and stumbles along the way. But like that dude, all the troubles of the world just bounce right off of that yeah, guy. That's so, true. Yeah, I think I think those would be the ones. Because I don't want to be an oil baron. And I don't want to be Reynolds Woodcock. <laughs> even though as much as we all in our own way are Reynolds Woodcock. Mm-hmm. You know, to a certain degree. And I don't want a mushroom omelet served to me for dinner. Anymore, so what sure. are you talking about? <laughs> I did also think of Shasta in Inherent Vice. I feel like that would be fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. That would be great. So we're going to share our top five PTA films. Nick, I think you should reveal your number five first because this is an inspired choice. Shocking <laughs> choice. I want to know why it is like bottom one or two for both of you. It's Heart Eight. 
If I were to give you $50, what would you do with it? I'd eat. How long can you eat? How long can you live on $50? I don't know. I would bet not very long. I watched this for the first time this week. I was like, you know, it's PTA's directorial debut. Mm -hmm. And I was just really shocked by this being a debut. It was intriguing. It was fun. It draws you into this world of Reno, of casinos. And I love the characters. Why I loved Philip Baker Hall so much. Um, His character in this and he acting in this are incredible. Sure, maybe the story, you know, gets a little crazy. And, you know, Gwyneth's character in there. But I enjoyed it a lot. Why do you guys not like this or not have it higher in your list? I think, Sophia, this is how I feel about it. To me, it's it feels the least Paul Thomas Anderson of his Paul Thomas Anderson filmography. It, it feels like a first time director rather than being like, oh, this is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Now, it is a very it's a, a very good movie. It's like four out of five stars for me. The others are just more. I think about those more. I think and when this movie is done, I'm like, okay, cool. Hard eight's out of the way. Let's move on to the meat and potatoes. You know what I mean? Similar to you, Ryan. It's also just one I don't return to. Like, I don't find the need to go back to it. I think, like, yes, like, being a PTA movie, I do really like it. To me, it feels kind of like when a director makes a short film a feature. And sometimes, like, it's better as a short film or doesn't need to be a feature. And I, I think I feel that with Hard Eight. I love the inspired pick of putting it in your top five. But yeah, for me, I think that's why it stays out. I do prefer later career PTA, though. I like when he kind of feels like more Ford-like, um, singular stories, deep, dark characters. I really like that era of his career. Um, so this feels just early to me. You can see like sparks of who he becomes in this movie, and that's also why I liked mm-hmm. it. And I'm probably more first era PTA. So there we go. We never agree. It's okay. Um, (laughs) But we love you both. Okay. So we talked, Ryan, about your number five and my number four. Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand. Yeah, like sands. Like the ocean. Barbara Streisand? No, but Streisand. Sand. Licorice Pizza being in the top half of PTA for us. Like, what? Why is that for you? Do you think? Um, I didn't get to rewatch Punch Drunk Love, but in my head, I think it's playing a lot better than than it did many many moons ago when I saw it. I read. I did rewatch Boogie Nights, and Boogie Nights was in that five spot, and. The movie to me got a little bit lesser in my estimation. I thought it was a lot. I like thinking about of the Scorsese elements. I was like, yeah, this is really him trying to be that in a lot of ways. And it just, for me, ultimately it's, it's, I still love the movie, but it's like less and less like what I strive to. And I just thought a lot when I was watching the second go round of how, better the second play of licorice pizza did than the mm-hmm. first one and how it builds on its layers and it's such a deeply flawed movie and i think this ranking is arbitrary oh, yeah. i love all these right. movies but um but but i think i can firmly say it's in the middle of the pack right now and put it there if it goes up it moves back down we'll see with time but i think to put it there is a is a fair assessment and i think you putting it at four is fair as well like if anybody puts it at one 
we, we would have violence and I don't want that. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, these rankings are our personal rankings. We know that people love Paul Thomas Anderson. They are facts, though. <laughs> so just just put that yeah. out there. So. Yes, definitely. Um, but yeah, so other people, you know, might have different rankings, but this is how we chose to rank these movies today. Uh, Licorice Pizza for me, I just... I see it as a movie I'm going to return to often in my life um, and just how it's warmth, but it's sadness. And yeah, I think it's just masterfully made. So I put it there and Ryan, you and Nick have the same number four and it's my number five. And that is the hard to crack ensemble piece Magnolia. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a line to you from an opera. I want you to give me that line back in the language in which the opera was originally written. And for a bonus 250, uh, you can sing it. I'm Stanley Spector. There is the story of a boy genius. Willa Catherine, Thomas Kidd, Jean-Baptiste Beauclamoyer. I love Magnolia. I think I think it is one of the most batshit insane movies I've ever seen growing up. It's three hours long. It's got so many stories going on. We actually, last year, or I guess this was in 2020, so in 20, 22 years ago, when we did on extra film, our Robert Altman movie series, we coupled a rewatch of Magnolia with a, our first time viewing of shortcuts and shout out to my co-host Jay Ledbetter, who loves shortcuts. It's his favorite Robert Altman film. And I told him that movie is bad. And I said that, oh, you know, maybe no. Jay and I would be friends because I really want to see shortcuts. <laughs> and I told him that, Magnolia is the movie that Robert Altman wished that he could make. And I thought that Magnolia was a much better film in that estimation. And I know I, I'm a very controversial opinion on that. And, and Jay sort of blasts me for that every chance he can get. But I, I do really love the film. And I think it's got like a musical number in the middle of it, too, which mm-hmm. freaking the slaps. Amy Mann music. And um, nominated. That Amy yeah. Mann, oh, deserved a win. And just every performance is so uniquely mm-hmm. emotional. And I don't know what the frogs mean. I don't give a shit. It's cool. Um, and he'll never make another movie like that because nobody will ever let him do it. 1999, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Which is continuing that trend of PTA in banner years like 2017 in 2007 and 1999, Paul Thomas Anderson's hands are right in the middle of the cookie jar. And so, yeah, I love the You movie. know it's not a oh, banner what? year? 2021. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. I thought I thought this year was pretty good. I, I liked a lot of yeah, movies. Yeah, but not not like that. Not like 1999. <laughs> Only time will tell. Magnolia, I think, is such a well-written script. It's such a cool movie. It meanders and has all of these threads, but somehow comes together very beautifully. I know. I mean, it's like putting it number five. It's like I could have put it at number three. I could have put it anywhere, really. But I do Mm -hmm. really love it. I really enjoyed my rewatch this time. Yeah, just an incredibly inventive thing that no one will ever, like, try to make again. I feel Well, people will try, but they will fail to make their own Magnolia, probably. It's an epic piece that was constructed beautifully and executed so perfectly. I love how it flows. The way Licorice Pizza flows for you is how Magnolia felt for me. I loved how all the characters 
intertwined, the musical number, so unexpected, so is the ending. Being over three hours, this felt shorter than multiple movies from this current award season. I will say that. <laughs> Got that. Um, I love you, Nick. You're the best. <laughs> You're the best. Okay, and you guys have the same number three. What do you do? I am a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist, a theoretical philosopher. But above all, I am a man, just like you. (laughs) The master. A little simpatico right now. This is great. Getting a little bit of both of us this episode. (laughs) (laughs) The master is maybe his most beautifully shot movie. The characters are so complex and profound. I love what he's trying to grapple here with religion and how you're supposed to understand these characters and who they are. It changes every rewatch for me. So I love revisiting this. For me, it is one of those movies where your mouth is agape the entire time because it almost doesn't even feel like an actual screenplay was involved. It feels like he had these ideas of of this religion specifically that he wanted to talk about. And he just threw exercises out with these actors. This is the best performance Joaquin Phoenix has ever given. Philip Seymour Hoffman should have won the Oscar over Christoph Waltz. It's ridiculous. If anyone was going to win another Mm -hmm. Oscar out of that lineup, it was Christoph Waltz. Amy Adams is incredible. It's her best performance of her career. It's like Nick said, it's beautifully shot. It's complex. I watched this with a friend of mine in a couple of years ago whose family was a part of Scientology and they left. And he was terrified watching it because he had never seen it. And it was like watching a, a like a horror movie for him because he felt like he was in so many people's ways but then he also felt very much like freddie was his grandfather in a lot of ways uh, because his family had met l ron hubbard and, oh and, wow. and gone through all that and uh and yeah it was a very unique experience also watching that in 70 millimeter was incredible in college because it was the first time i had seen a movie in 70 millimeter and it was this beautiful movie and it's epic and the way that Johnny Greenwood's score plays up the tension is incredible. So, and like Nick said, I don't know what I get every single time I watch it, but it's something new. And the processing scene, my God, it's one of the most crazy things ever put to cinema that I might have ever seen in my life. It's my favorite scene of the last decade it's i did a naughty thing when we did our top 10 films of the decade i had a tie for my number five and it was this movie in phantom thread and i stand by it because i can still not get those two movies out of my head and paul thomas anderson basically earned his own spot there and yeah it's a great movie it's not in my top five but it's just outside of it I love The Master. I think the way that this movie is shot, it has this like Norman Rockwell feel to it. This like tainted Americana, like a beautiful look at it, but it underneath it is poisonous. So I think the cinematography here is stunning. 
It's incredible. I think it's like one of his best actors showcases for sure. My number three is Nick's number two. I love this movie. I saw it on film this year, which was great. I went to see it because it meant I got to see the Licorice Pizza trailer on film. But I saw it in 35 and that's Boogie Nights. Maybe think about your name. Something a little sad. I want you to know I plan on being a star. A big bright shining star. I just, I love it. I think it's crazy that he made this in his 20s. The flip, I think, from the easy breezy lightness of the porn industry to the VHS tape and what comes with a new era is fascinating. I love the Alfred Molina scene. He's a master at building tension. So I just, I love Boogie Nights. It's like signature PTA for me. This is kind of like tied with the master for me because they're so different. Um, it has the Magnolia feel to it where there are so many characters and they meet each other in very unique ways. Yeah, I loved that, you know, it gets dark and you're waiting for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that constantly shocks me about PTA movies is the violence that happens when you're not expecting it. And there are a few moments here. I ended up putting this movie at number two because, you know, I, I feel like I could put it on at any moment and just sit and start watching it. It's a really fun time. It's an adventure. And again, I love the characters. Watching the New Year's Eve scene on New Year's Mm -hmm. Eve was a little meta. And I feel like PTA would be happy that (laughs) he did so. He's a wanted man, ladies and gentlemen. He he straight up murdered someone on New Year's (laughs) Eve. And... Okay, I think let's talk about, we'll save the big one for last, but my number one is Ryan's number two. It's Phantom Thread. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. It's my favorite movie of all time. I used to like not say that because I used to be like, oh, it's all about Eve or it's, you know, something else. But it is my favorite movie of all time. I I think about it more than any other movie. It I think it's perfect. It's hilarious. The performances are incredible. Daniel Day Lewis, my favorite man ever. Like I love him. (laughs) Sorry, Nick. DDL's number one. (laughs) Sorry, Dad. Um Yeah, I named my cat after him. Like, I I love Daniel Day-Lewis, and I feel like this, you know, if he did retire and Phantom Thread was his last movie, what a movie to end on. But yeah, I've talked about this movie so much, like, over the course of our pod. I talked about it, I know, like, in depth on our Letterboxd episode, which was, like, forever ago on movies that we love. So, yeah, I can't get enough of it. I think it's it's just perfect. I'm obsessed with it, and... Yeah, it's just like, it feels like my soul in a movie. I just love it so much. Ryan, why do you love it? I love it because it's the most rewatchable film I've seen in the last 15 years. Um, I watch it a ton, and I probably shouldn't, um, <laughs> because it's because um, of what it's really saying. And it is a movie about, really, as, as someone that's like an artist or whatever, and how we treat our relationships power dynamics within a relationship how our work can consume us to the point in which it 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 drives us to be 
devilish human beings. It also is extremely beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's also, it makes me hungry, as Daniel Day-Lewis says in the film, because food is such a marvelous, strange, weird contextuality without, throughout the film. And it's used metaphorically, but it's also used very ab- abrupt. I mean, the, my, one of my favorite scenes ever in a Paul Thomas Anderson film is when Alma first encounters him and they are having that first official power dynamic mm-hmm. between the two of them where he is ordering all of this food and it's the hunger of the food is not just because he is starving. It is because he is looking at this beautiful creature in front of him and he takes the, that order and says, can you remember it? Mm-hmm. And like, even within there too, like jam, not strawberry. And on the quick, she goes raspberry. And he goes kind of like, yeah, that'll do. And um, in sausages and sausages, <laughs> you know, but then there's so many lines of, you know, I, I write a review every now and then and my wife comes into the room and starts messing around with things. And I sit there and I go in a nicer way than he does in the film going, do you mind going to the other room or, you know, because the, the, the interruption is staying <laughs> here, um, you know, but then there also is that. And it's, it's a pride and togetherness and bond that they have because why does Alma get upset about Barbara Rose wearing the dress? Um, why does she become involved in his work? It's because the, and then of course, like the Cyril's relationship mm-hmm. with him too, and how she really runs the things and Alma and her sort of bond. And it's really his inventions that these two women sort of run and they think he has the power, but he doesn't really mm-hmm. have the power because women have the power in every relationship. And so it's such a beautiful, interesting way to do things. And it's by the end, it's sort of Reynolds accepting the fact that, yes, he is a giant pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And this is the only way to settle him down is to succumb to the proper thing in any relationship, which is succumb to the care and understanding that your partner knows what's best for you. And... Yeah, it's one of those movies I put on all the time with my wife and we watch it and we laugh our ass off. And it's a devilish, devilish comedy. It's one of the best comedies yeah. I've ever seen, to be it's honest. It's my with favorite you. romantic comedy, too. Funny. Like, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's a great romantic <laughs> comedy. Yeah. And the New Year's Eve scene, uh, my God. So sad. Again, that sadness there. At the ending, when the time moves backwards, it's like, yes, because in those moments when you're holding the person you love, Time is an irrelevant object. Yeah. Christopher Nolan would agree with that statement. Well, I love the ending too when she's like thinking of the future and she's telling him, like, I'll take care of your dresses. She's concerned with the legacy of the House of Woodcock, which is just so funny in that Barbara Rose scene. And he says, But right now we are here and I'm getting hungry. Amazing way to end the movie. Mm-hmm. And then you just see her face and she's like, Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure you are. Sure <laughs> so you good. are. Yeah, it makes me want to have that camera show of what goes on in, in our house with with Maya Rudolph. Yeah. Really I also does. want to know what Rebecca Miller, Daniel Day Lewis's wife, thinks of it. Yeah, I would really love who's Ciro and who is Alma. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that would be really interesting. Yeah. Okay, guys, let's talk about the big one, <laughs> which like could be my number one, but Phantom Thread, I just 
in inherent yeah, vice, inherent right? Vice. Inherent vice. <laughs> that is our number one. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're talking about there will be blood. I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I can't keep doing this on my own. With these um, people. <laughs> it's the movie that we have that I think of of our time, of our generation, of what is important. Mm-hmm. The best film of the 2000s, 2010s. It's the best film in the last 22 years now. It's a movie that I don't think people understand how much of a masterpiece it is, and yet it's being called by a masterpiece by so many people. And it plays so much better on a rewatch. It moves so quickly. It's darkly hysterical. So many blistering lines of truth. I mean, I forgot how darkly evil and funny those final 15 minutes Mm -hmm. are when he's looking at Eli... And he is just telling him that he's been a false prophet and God is a superstition and making him do all that. And then that land has been drilled, you know, and uh, and gets him to believe all that. Then you hear all that other stuff. But then, you know, it was Paul who was the chosen one, you know. Where were you, poor Eli, when Paul was suckling on his mother's teat, you know, and you should put, a, put you in a glass jaw on a mantelpiece you know (laughs) shit like that and you're like damn you think of that but the only reason he's doing that is because this man is so fucking petty and because of the fact that he this other man who is now his family spiritually and relatively through blood and everything literally made him get on his knees to beg for the thing that he wanted the most in the most vulnerable public state and then also made him go and say something about his son, which, you know, you don't tell me how to run my family because one night I'm going to come to your house and slit your throat. <laughs> I mean, there's like so many things like that. So I just think it's a masterpiece. It's Daniel Day-Lewis' best performance ever. You should have won. The Coens can have best picture that year. That's totally fine. I totally think that it's actually helped. There will be blood that it didn't win best picture. But the fact that he didn't win Best Director is kind of insulting. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like, what are we doing here, Academy? Like, do you, do you not understand what you're trying to, like, do with these awards and stuff? And, like, this man this man should have a mantle full of awards and, and be more acclaimed than he is. And it's because of this movie. But I think he'll settle with the best film of the millennium. And I think that that's okay. And that's something we asked our Twitter followers to on our account was... PTA has been snubbed for all of these awards. What is one that you would pick for him to win? And it was actually pretty close. It was amazing how many answers we got, but close because Magnolia screenplay came in second to him winning for director for There Will Be Blood. And I completely agree. It's a masterpiece. It is the epitome of, you know, what America has become through the decades capitalism just an insane picture of of life and like you said ryan he pulls these incredible performances and we've mentioned this so many times today but this is it for me like this is acting and um (laughs) the master is second to me in that way but my god daniel day lewis just 
uh, it's everything. Like mm-hmm. he does everything here. And from the comedy to that final milkshake monologue, <laughs> throwing the bowling ball and how does he slurp uh, like that? I just like, <laughs> like how he gets these inspirations. Oh. I have no <laughs> idea, but it works and it, it makes this just an incredible movie mm. an experience like a piece of art yeah i think of when we think of american filmmaking and what has like stood the test of time it's films about big ideas and this is like the big idea movie of pta's career thinking about capitalism and greed and oil and this like this man at the center of it all and faith and religion and putting all of that together in this perfectly constructed film that is also an ingenious adaptation of an Upton Sinclair novel. Yes. Like crazy because his, I think he's known for his original screenplays, but this adaptation is just so creative. And Daniel Day Lewis in this movie, he is, this is the movie why he will always be my favorite actor, but the way that he is so evil, but you're just so compelled to, you're just so wrapped up in everything that he does in this movie. And it makes you understand the hold that he has on other people. And I love the ending. So Kubrickian, the I'm finished. And then you get that music. It's so, so good. I love it so much. And yeah, I mean, I'm sad it didn't win Oscars, of course, but I'm glad that people seem to still be interested in watching it and have continued to like revere it, even though it didn't win. I mean, this is like the movie that, I think made him PTA, mm-hmm. right? Like this is the movie where everyone's like, okay, yeah, that's Paul Thomas Anderson. He's done some, some weird little movies or whatever. And then they're like, Oh my God, that's the guy. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that movie, you can do whatever the fuck you want for the rest of your life. Like you can make a movie about Scientology and about a pothead detective and, you know, a guy that makes dresses and, you know, about these kids in the San Fernando Valley. You can do all that because you made the most important film <laughs> of the last 20-something years. Yeah. Yeah, that's worth more than a gold trophy, is to be a game changer for cinema. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for Amazing. being here for this <laughs> epic journey through the career of Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> discussing his latest film, Licorice Pizza. Where can everyone find you on the internet? Where can they find your work? Well, first of all, thank you both for having me on. Sophia and Nick, you are two of the nicest people on the planet. And you all really should follow them because they are rock stars and they're the best. But you already do because you listen to the show. But please continue to follow them and, and listen to them because this is one of the best shows out there on the planet. And I love it. And I listen to it every week. And you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and at Letterbox at Ryan McQuaid 77. You can follow my work at In Session Film awards watch uh film speak awards writer various other places and uh yeah it's been an honor to talk about this i'm sorry to everyone and to nick and sophia for going three hours i feel like i've (laughs) turned them into like soup in their brains and everything i feel terrible but i think we just all love talking about this man in this in his movies so Mm -hmm. yeah i'm about to start shouting like i'm the third revelation (laughs) i'm the third bastard from a basket (laughs) and ryan what is one thing you're wild for right now well besides this podcast 
Um, <laughs> because I love listening. No, I'm not. So I, I'm not joking. I, I oh, listen to you guys sweet. every week, and I and I'm I I don't listen to everyone's show because it's so hard to listen to forty or fifty <laughs> podcasts. So oh, there yeah. there are about there are about ten that I really listen to, and and I said this on my show, and I'll say it here is that you guys are extremely positive and and, and have great vibes, and it's very hard oh. to find that in this very negative insidious world but um i would say the thing i am i am most wild about is a movie that will be coming out soon and it is called drive my car and it's <laughs> fucking great nicholas i'm crying this is and so convince me right and convince me. it is I think in a lot of ways it is it's like just this beautiful movie about art and grief and how one can come through all that and use both as a method of healing and I think that it's a 3 hour movie that just rides. I mean like you are just at the hands of a master really when and I know I say that about Paul Thomas Anderson but I really think Hamaguchi just you hand yourself over to this man for three hours and he earns every emotional payoff throughout that entire film. All the acting is superb, but I just, I think of how that ending really just is so earned. I mean, there's so many movies right now that are two and a half, three hours long in this award season and they don't feel earned. You don't feel like you actually learned something about those people you watched. And I really think that is the case with drive my car and i really think nick should watch it again because i heard the blasphemy uh from a couple of weeks ago <laughs> or last week it really is a beautiful movie i hope it wins international feature i really hope it it wins all those so that nick has to watch it again uh, i can't wait for it to get the criterion release so that nick can watch it again and uh i i just hope that you all watch it so that you can tell nick to watch it again because it's such a good movie and it's the movie that has been in my head the last couple of weeks and I really no cliche wanna watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much Ryan for being here. I'm sure we'll see you again during Oscar season. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to come back on and you guys are always welcome on Chasing the Gold in any podcast I ever do because I love you both. We appreciate it. Thank you Ryan so much. We've had a blast. We're down to do it again. <laughs> this recording uh, was longer than Magnolia. I pro- I promise yeah. it will not be this long. Just don't don't invite me on for a director that I love love. <laughs> Maybe just a casual conversation over you know oh one God. category or something. We're you know we're happy though that this was the first time you got to talk about PTA on a show. Really, true. yeah, that is true. You got the exclusive scoop. Well, thank you all for listening. If you like our show, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wilde Pod. So coming soon on Oscar Wilde, we have some exciting episodes. We'll have our reactions to the Golden Globes ceremony, announcement, whatever. Also, SAG nominations will be released and the BAFTA long lists. We'll be talking about the tragedy of Macbeth, talking about that film, what it should be considered for for the Oscars, also our most anticipated movies of 2022. We love doing this every year, seeing what's going to be big, being wrong about a lot of things, and <laughs> just you know, looking forward to the next year after Oscar season. Yeah, what will we be wrong about can be a theme for 
pretty much a big portion of the year. I mean, and like what movies will be delayed in 2022? We don't know that. So I'm excited for the month ahead, especially excited to talk about the tragedy of Macbeth. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks everyone. See you next time. Thank you.